Welcome to the Digital Euro Podcast by the Digital Euro Association. In this podcast, you will learn about the disruption of technology in the monetary and financial system. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy the episode. How to pay in the machine economy of the future. With me today are very esteemed speakers that we're all very much happy to welcome, which are Jacob, um, Richard, Ricky, and David, but they will introduce themselves. And for this, I will give the word over to Jacob. Thank you very much uh, for the introduction. Uh, keep it short and simple. My name is Jacob. I started at Ernst Young the 1st of January um, as a manager for digital and emerging technologies and technology consulting. Summarized, we are responsible for uh, digital payments, digital currencies, uh, and all digital asset-related matters uh, in technology consulting um, from a regulatory side as well as from the strategic and the technology side. Yeah, my background is I'm coming from uh, the German savings banks world, uh, started myself uh, in a savings bank in Heidelberg and uh, afterwards joined the German Savings Banks Association here in Berlin, where I was a co-author of the white papers on the digital euro ecosystem. Happy to be here. Great. Thank you, Jacob. And you're not just a panelist today, you also give us the introduction to machine-to-machine -machine payments um, in the form of a keynote after we're um, done wrapping up introductions. But for now, I'd like to give the word over to Ricky. Welcome. Welcome, Sarah. Uh, thank you for the introduction and thank you for being here. So uh, my name is Ricky Lamberti. I'm a digital economy and digital asset expert at the Robert Bosch GmbH, which uh, most of you should know. Um, I was researching um, now for three years uh, at the Economy of Things Research Project, which, which is a strategic research project in the topics around digital economy, uh, DLT and Web3. Uh, now I'm part uh, at the research at the corporate finance team and therefore and there I'm a lead expert for digital assets and um, digital economy. Uh, like Jakob, uh, doing strategic things and also trying to uh, implement and incorporate those assets and processes into a corporate like Bosch. Thank you. All right. Great to have you, Ricky. Very hands-on um, experience. It's going to be great to hear from your uh, from your experience uh, working at Bosch, especially. And uh, next up, we have uh, Richard. Hello, everybody out there on YouTube, or if you're catching this later on podcast land. Look, why listen to me? Look, I'm the international best-selling author of two books, and they are behind me. You can see them actually, but they are. Uh, Cashless, which is China's digital currency revolution and innovation lab excellence. And why do they matter? Because I was an investment banker for 20 years before I wrote my books. Yes, I know I'm useful and you can't see that I'm that old. But the point is, I had a career in banking. I also worked at IBM. And basically, I watched fintech happen. And I watched China go cashless live during my 13 years living and working in China. So a different perspective and one that is certainly all about being cashless. 
Great, Richard. It's going to be exciting to hear from you as well. And you bring a great enthusiasm to the round. And now, not least, um, but last, this time will be David. Yeah, thank you so much, Sarah, for, for this short introduction. Yeah, greetings from, from Berlin. Uh, my name is David Tercero Lucas. I got my, my PhD in applied economics, especially focusing on the topics of monetary policy and digital currencies at Autonomous University of Barcelona. And now I'm working as an expert in payments at Lipis Advisors, which is a firm, Berlin-based firm, uh, main, that mainly focuses on, on payments, especially digital currencies, cross-border payments, and all the things related to, to payments. And it's really, really great to be here, especially to discuss this, this topic that probably is going to be one of the most exciting ones in the, in the coming years. Thank you so much. All right, that includes our round of panelists for today. And uh, with that already being done, Jacob, why don't you introduce us to the world of machine-to-machine um, -machine payments and the machine economy? Perfect. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I said I'm excited to be here today uh, among all these interesting and very yeah, uh, excellent uh, panelists as well. And to have the possibility to introduce you into that topic and how to pay in the machine economy of the future. I would try to keep it as short as possible so that we have enough time uh, to really discuss the relevant questions and uh, several opinions we have here today. Um, so I'd like to give an overview on these four topics, like having a short introduction into the payment trends that we have currently, um, giving maybe also later Richard the opportunity to, to uh, interact with that on the cashless topics. Then I will go a bit deeper into the terminology, meaning like what is M2M payments? What does machine to machine actually mean? how it can be separated from, for example, the IoT world, et cetera, um, giving some samples on possible use cases and having a short look on the regulatory framework afterwards. So I will start with the trends in payments where I just stole that from, from my colleagues uh, that, that published a paper called The Rise of Paytex a few weeks ago. Um, I found it a very good overview on the current ongoing payment trends, to be honest, because there's a really like, there's a, there's much music going on, I would say, in Germany. Um, and I wanted to pick out one or two of these trends uh, because they are really relevant for the topic we're discussing today. On the one hand, there are the digital currencies and CBDCs that might that yeah, experience a very high progress. There are many central banks in the world that discuss CBDC-related topics that start projects in this world. There are many stablecoin projects uh, currently taking place, currently starting all over the world. There was the first uh, Euro stablecoin in the US with Europe, for example. I think there was also an online or web panel from the DEA on that topic as well. So there's plenty of music currently playing in that field. As well, there are like trends like cross-border payments that in the end, over the last year, we're increasing, even though there was a short drop uh, during COVID. Um, but in the end, there are more and more payments, not only between organizations or entities, but also cross-border and also cross-currency. And I think that's a trend that's also related to machine-to-machine -machine payments. The thing is embedded payments and real-time, meaning that in the end, payments become something that belongs to every process, but in the end is not really realized because it's embedded in the surrounding, embedded, it's automated uh, in the end and uh, integrated into the automated processes, business processes. So just to have the thing uh, or to clarify a bit on the term terminology, what I mean when I talk about M2M, I brought you three terms in the, uh, in the end here. Like we start with the thing, industry 4.0, which 
refers, I think everyone has uh, might have the same understanding here, which just refers to the fourth industrial revitalization, meaning something like integration of technology into supply chains, into business processes to get in the end a highly automated uh, workflow or like a highly automated environment. And one part of this is also, of course, uh, payment transactions. And therefore, we have to differ or we, we have a deeper look into the payments world uh, regarding industry 4.0. And what I found out there are to do two different terms, IoT and M2M, which I wanted somehow a bit to clarify, at least here, meaning M2M means in the end, the direct communication between machines within a network and where information must can be small amounts, uh, for example, a pass within the network, while IoT, on the other hand, interconnects all of them through a centralized network somehow. It might be the internet, for example, and where masses of data, for example, are, are stored and also um, communicated. So they are often used synonymously, but in the end, you know, IoT depends on M2M, but it's not the same. Uh, vice versa. And I wanted to clarify that somehow, because if we're talking about M2M payments today, at least from my side, I really wanted to focus more on the thing, how machines can interact in that term um, directly among each other. So I tried to, to dig down a bit deeper on the different standards and uh, listed these both. Uh, yeah, I found these two bullets. Um, one on the M2M standard, the other one on the IoT standard. In the end, to summarize it, you can say M2M payments refer to the automated flow of payments between two or more machines uh, without the involvement of a human being. That would be my definition that I lay into this topic or, yeah, as I would define M2M payments for today's panel and uh, as I would understand the further, um, the further topic that we're discussing today. So talking about this, I thought about sample use cases and how, I, yeah, how, how you could really uh, make M2M payments a bit more tangible uh, today, because of course we're discussing a very interesting topic, but, but a more hypothetical one uh, of, as, as it is today. And what I found during my research was the general requirements that are listed on the left side, like when or what is necessary for industrial organizations or for companies when they talk about M2M payments. And it, of course, there's no human interaction or somehow interference needed. There's uh, legal security for the underlying transaction that is a must. There's, of course, clean and error-free code to determine the outcome of a transaction um, because in the end, you're totally relying to what is happening in the communication between two machines. And since you don't want a human being to interact or to interfere, uh, you of course need the clean and error-free code. Then of course, talking about two machines that are paying each other or that, are have, that, that have payment flows between each other, you need certainty that the payment is irreversible, meaning that it is somehow guaranteed and the offered service by one machine is paid by the one that uh, takes the service as well. Um, talking about machine to machine payments, you also uh, would want to have real time atomic payments that sometimes differ uh, depending on the perspective. Uh, in the end, I would always summarize uh, real time up to 10 seconds and uh, transactions in machine to machine must be low cost. And of course, grant a wide adoption since, uh, yeah, you don't really uh, need or use a system where there's only a few offers uh, that you can use. So having these requirements listed, 
I thought about the sample use cases and I just took out three that I found quite interesting. On the one hand, um, you can see that two of them are coming from the cars uh, automotive industry. The first one would be like automated payments between a truck and a pole station, for example, when, when a truck uses uh, certain lanes and passes a certain point, um, then they might get charged for the, for the street that they used or for, for, yeah, for, yeah, the, the toll, et cetera. Uh, the other use case could be where cars uh, fuel up, not meaning like the, the classical fuel, but they're charging electricity on modern uh, stations. So on the one hand, they receive electricity or battery, they fuel up. And on the other hand, they pay their bill automatically, which could make the car uh, a, not a profit center itself, but in an industrial context as well, um, a machine that could show its uh, out expanded amount of money. And the third use case in this context would be uh, smart contract-based payments between two machines could be within one company, could also be between two companies. So machines that interact within a supply chain or uh, yeah, uh, value chain, a business value chain, and for delivering, for example, power from the one machine to the other one, the other one pays the electricity that it received or the material that it received for production. That could be, uh, that could be use cases for M2M payments, seeing the general requirements and the standards that I explained before. So talking about the use cases, there's a question on how the payments are executed or processed. Uh, in the end, there can be several solutions, which uh, will, of course, be uh, looked at later in the discussion a bit uh, more detailed. But in the end, I separated it in two different ways. On the one hand, there are like the conventional payment rails, meaning the transaction between two machines can be made on conventional infrastructure, meaning uh, through, for example, uh, Swift or or the the SIPA area, right? Uh, and the payment can be triggered by the machine and processed in the end as we know it today. On the other hand, a very interesting use case or uh, yeah, a way to really process the, the payment and settle settle the payment itself could be money on chain. So meaning when we use blockchain, for example, for that topic, uh, we also use the underlying or the, the blockchain-based uh, currency that is used to settle the transactions. And that could be cryptocurrencies, e-money tokens, tokenized commercial bank money, and in some cases also central bank digital currencies. And uh, the tokens that represent the money can be used to settle the business on the blockchain itself. But both of these ways to, to settle the, the payment bring along regulatory challenges for several reasons. On the one hand, there's the PSD2 um, that, that somehow uh, defines how two-factor authentication has to be made. Uh, it also defines other standards around payments, which makes it hard for smart contract-based payments to be really executed in conventional payment rails. And on the other hand, there are, for example, implications coming from the markets in crypto assets regulation, the MICA, uh, which defines standards for uh, stable coins or other cryptocurrencies, um, which makes it harder for them to, to be really used in the industry for settlement processes. So you would have to rely more on tokenized commercial bank money uh, where there's no standard uh, as if we're talking today. 
um, to be used. To be honest, there are many questions arising around that topic since, as I said, we're still in the infancy of the M2M payments. Um, the financial sector, I think, the, my 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 panelists will jump in on that uh, in a few few minutes. The financial sector, not only but also the industry, expects a lot of this topic. Not only that, there's the possibility to do it technically, but I think there are some use cases uh, might be from for Bosch, but as well for other ones uh, where they see the the use of M2M payments. So this one has. Uh, the topic has strategic implications for organizations, meaning which solutions do you use, which currencies do you use, will you develop joint solutions with your customers, with partners, whatever, uh, what investments do need to be made. That is, I think, another question that uh, has to be clarified on a strategic level. Um, there are questions on the effect on existing payment methods, not only for the organizations itself, but I mean in general for the financial sector, meaning how can you achieve convertibility between different forms of money, meaning the money as we know it today, uh, the, the classic commercial bank money on accounts, but also CBDCs that will develop or come into the market in the next years, uh, stable coins that are developed right now, et cetera. Um, the benefits that can be provided through other forms of money, through new forms of money, and also through new payment methods that are implemented on top of them, and also the needs for interoperability. Since as we see currently, or at least as I am experiencing currently, there are several solutions for infrastructure and uh, different forms of money coming up right now, showing in the market worldwide. And uh, what is needed there is somehow a common standard or at least certain certain rails to achieve the interoperability between different systems. So besides that, third point is the technical implica uh, implications, meaning of course, on a on a entity one once entities level, uh, you have to clarify which technologically needs uh, need to be provided for to ensure your provision of services. Um, how can new forms of money be integrated in your implemented implemented in your systems and connected to other existing infrastructure, and as well which existing infrastructure must be connected to the new system. So there's a lot of check for organizations on the one hand, but also for the whole market, seeing the several projects that arise currently. Uh, as I mentioned before, there are legal and regulatory requirements or challenges uh, that need to be addressed and need to be solved, not only by the private sector, but also by the EU commission, meaning uh, along the PSD2 and uh, the authorization of payments, meaning the MECAR that was postponed, uh, if I got it correctly, again, I think to uh, to the voting in April. So there's a lot of uncertainty in the market still. And uh, that has to be, or in, at least in my opinion, needs to be clarified before we see a wider adoption and really uh, real use cases being um, piloted in the field of M2M payments. So all in all, you can say, uh, at least in my opinion, M2M payments are changing the payments industry landscape. Like they, they bring a very new uh, possibility to settle payments, to interact between entities, meaning machines in that case, without the involvement of human beings. Um, they bring together once isolated systems in the meaning of digital transactions. They enable organizations to uh, have fully automated uh, workflows, at least hypothetically, um, 
if the legal and all the other challenges are addressed and solved. And therefore, businesses can really use M2M payments to develop new business models and create additional revenue. Um, yeah, that's so far from my side. And I can hand over back to Sarah, Sarah uh, for the discussion. Jacob, thank you very much. This was a very, very rich uh, presentation, as I found from the audience. We don't have any questions as of right now. Make sure to ask them either via Slido or via the YouTube chat. Um, however, one thing that came to mind now that you're talking about um, things that further have to be decided on before we can actually talk about um, something like the machine um, economy of the future, because you were basically talking about when do we use e-money tokens? When do we use stable coins? Which type of currencies do Uh, your customers decide on um, for for their solution. Is there any type of of um, decision tree or any type of um, rationale that's going on in the background already that we can talk about basically on how to decide which money would make the most sense? And then also specifically focusing on CBDCs and the capabilities of them to serve as machine to machine uh, payment as money basically in those. Uh, yeah, I will start the others. Feel free to jump in. Um... In the end, I don't see a decision tree right now because uh, I think it's it's personal taste uh, of each uh, company, to be honest. Seeing Tesla, for example, holding big amounts of Bitcoin and enabling uh, clients to, to pay in cryptocurrencies would be an example where a huge company uh, is using cryptocurrencies for payment transactions. Might be a marketing thing, but also maybe a business thing. But in the end, it shows there's also the use case for cryptocurrency transactions. Um, Looking at what we did within the last years in the, in, the, in the financial sector in Germany, I think that cryptocurrencies are not really uh, a means of payment for, especially for inter-organizational payment uh, flows, since they have a high volatility and provide some uncertainty about uh, the value itself. Stablecoins could be an issue, but there's the question still on which a stablecoin can be used. And so far, if I know correctly, there's not really a... a Euro stable coin that can be used within Europe. So that's a thing that could be a solution for the future, but might not be there today. Also, there are discussions on uh, tokenized commercial bank money. There's the regulatory liability network uh, that's coming from the UK. There's the, der uh, the German discussion on the CBMT, I think it's the name, the, the commercial bank money token. Um, so there are uh, standards that are in ongoing discussions, but there's not really like a developed solution. And CBDCs could also be one, but I think talking about the implementation of the digital era, we're having a timeline around 2026 or something. So looking a bit <laughs> a bit longer in the future, um, there are several aspects uh, that need to be considered. I don't see a final solution, especially for today, since we're not that far in the market. Yeah, if I may jump in. No, I absolutely agree with, with you, Jacob. Uh, in general, well, we know that for machine-to-machine -machine payments, we need programmability. And as you have said before, uh, there are two different ways to enable that. One is using the existing payment rails, right? Using a trigger solution or an API. And we can do that. And I know that there are some companies trying to, to use uh, a kind of trigger solution uh, using the existing payment rails. For instance, in Europe, uh, through TIPS, you, you can do it. And at the same time, the other option right now that I'm seeing is mainly, let's say, stable coins. It's true that crypto or unstable uh, cryptocurrencies are not an option. They have too much volatility. But regarding stable coins, we are always having the, the same issue. 
what is the good thing of using some stable coins? And in fact, uh, we have been reading a, a paper with the Digital Euro Association that we will release uh, probably in the in the following weeks about machine-to-machine payments and euro-based stable coins. And one uh, particular, let's say, advantage of using uh, a kind of stable coin is that especially uh, settlement settlement is instant, right? And that's one of the, the advantages with respect to all the possible solutions. But it's absolutely true that right now there is not an exact solution. There is not a, a decision tree right now to, to opt for one option or, or the other one. Um, I would agree here. I think um, uh, Jakob and, and David uh, gave a good picture and a good overview of what is currently happening. And um, when I speak about this topic about machine-to-machine payments or the economy of things and the topic is around payments, I believe in uh, currency pluralism. So what we see is that different competitive, uh, different users, different customers, corporates will depend and will choose their means of payment uh, on their own needs and their own requirements. So, and if we now think of um, industry 4.0 and a connected industry, right, there's also a lot of questioning going on between centralized and decentralized networks and architectures. And therefore, because um, you said that cryptocurrencies are too volatile, I definitely agree here. And we won't see cryptocurrency payments between corporates uh, in a big in a big uh, context. Nevertheless, if we if we think of having a decentralized network underlying most machines that 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 work and operate in such a network would need the network specific token or a cryptocurrency right to act on this network so we will see in my opinion there will be like tokens being used let's say on for example giving the ethereum network where your machine has a certain amount of ethereum in order to to operate on the network to contract uh, to to go in interaction with others and the uh, the real payment of the value of the service offered uh, or the product that has been delivered, this will be then being matched in a stable coin, in a CBDC or in other, any other kind of solution like trigger solutions or um, what the future will bring us. But therefore, I think like we will have this kind of uh, currency uh, pluralism uh, emerging um, where you would need a different type of uh, payments and, and, and currencies or tokens, so to say, in order to act in such an interoperable and and a huge connected uh, digital environment. All right, Richard, anything to add to that? Yeah, oh, there's always stuff to add to that. Look, this is a wonderful discussion because it gets to what I call the crisis of vision for where digital payment is going. And we tend to think of the digital payment as I'm going to buy a coffee. It's like every time I hear a digital payment discussion, it devolves to I'm buying coffee. And the answer is nobody cares how you buy your coffee. We do care about what the machines of the future are going to buy with. And that's why we talk about CBDC and to a certain degree about stable coins. And I want to get to the uh, to the point that Ricky made. And you talk about ubiquity. If you're running machines and you're talking about machines, it's not my machine, your machine. It's the manufacturer's machine. It's very simple people's machines. And when you talk to them and you say, well, you should make your machines take stable coins or you should make your machine take crypto or worse. And I think we can all agree on this. I'm holding up right now to the camera. Visa and MasterCard, you know, the, the Visa and MasterCard logos. These machines run by simple people 
with simple businesses are not going to pay interchange fees to Visa and MasterCard to have their machine accept payment, okay? So there's a role here that is perfectly carved out for central bank digital currency. Why? It is ubiquitous. It is the national currency, whether it be of Europe or China, who knows? And yes, it is a few years out. But these machines are going to need a common monetary language to speak. And that language is not going to be reserved for the likes of Tesla, who can afford to lose money taking crypto. The guy down the street from me who, you know, who has machines, who builds, the guy happens to build windows, replacement windows, right? His machines are not going to take crypto. Not today, not tomorrow, not ever, right? So that's the role of a ubiquitous central bank digital currency in society. And we have to wait a while for it. I grant you that. But that's the first role. And the second role has been touched on by everybody out there. And that's the contracts. Contract enforcement. Are they legal? Whose contracts? Where are the contracts? Whose network are the contracts on? Now, these are the sort of things that a central bank digital currency, in the in the case of China's at least, with built-in contracts, solves automatically. Are they legal? Yes, they were approved. Yes, they're part of the actual currency. So many of the problems fall away with a government-sponsored structure for that includes both contractualism built in plus ubiquity, uh, ubiquitous nature of the currency. So that's the case for central bank digital currencies. Now, just to be clear, I agree with um, everybody out there. We got to break this down into trigger and contracts and payment. Trigger and contracts, you can do a million different ways. And sure, payment you can do with crypto, you can do with stable coins, whatever. You can do it with Visa and MasterCard if you want to pay for it. But the, but the point really comes down to is how are you going to divide these two different worlds, the contracts and the programmability between the payment, and how are you going to make that work between factory A in one part of the world, one part of uh, of China or Europe, and, China, and factory B in another part of Europe with differing views of the world and different levels of sophistication. Yeah, if I may, yeah, I completely agree with, with Richard, but it's also true at the same time that CBDCs uh, is something that we are not going to see in Europe or in the United States till maybe, as Jacob said before, 2026 and, and I don't know about the digital dollar, maybe 2027 or more. So that's like four or five years. But I agree, and this is also what I have been seeing talking to people in the industry, that they really want a common, a common framework, a common currency to make payments. And also, I completely agree that in general, uh, using uh, unstable crypto is not a good option. Also taking into account accounting purposes. And this is also key uh, because right now we don't really know if uh, cryptocurrency is a security. If it is not, it really depends on the country. And that's also a legal and really important issue for companies when they are making a payment that they don't really know how they are going to to or in their accounting, right, uh, where they are going to include uh, this crypto. And that is something that uh, may not happen with a stable coin and, of course, with uh, with a CBDC. Yeah, important topic. Definitely agree here, David. Um, 
Richard, uh, to your point, um, I think definitely CBDC will 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 have a tremendous role in the future, um, because currently what we are paying you and me and the normal people are like right. It is the euro. It is it is a national currency somehow um, in our banking system um, privately issued, but nevertheless it's 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 one homogeneous currency. Um, nevertheless, I'm not sure really um, if for the machine-to-machine -machine payment area, right? You showed you different cards, and I believe that in the future, when we have standards set and when we have like frameworks established and we have this interconnection, right, um, where you have it exchanged immediate from one currency to another in an immediate in an immediately, right? Then this type of having multiple currencies somehow, or having ideally having service providers that would take care of. I think will not be such a big problem. Of, of course, if, if I as a private person would now have to go to an exchange to buy 10 different types of currencies, stablecoins, CBDCs in order to act on a network, it's not, it's not feasible. I definitely agree to this point. But I also see the potential of innovation in this field where we see that there will be more competition between currencies <clears throat> and, 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 and money, so to say, in the future. Um, and therefore, I'm, I'm not. I, I don't have that kind of strict position that, that you're now um, saying. So I'm more open, and I I'm really open also for the invasion, the competition between type of currencies and, and money uh, emerging in, in in this type of uh, digital digital economy and, and digital revolution. Sure, look, let, uh, let me jump in here and touch on two points. Um, first, uh, let me hit something that David said. Um, generally. My first concern is domestic machine-to-machine -machine payments, okay? Meaning Eurozone or China, okay? So these are, for me, the two major worlds. Now, you, you say United States. Who cares? It's a big world, you know? So, you know, the U.S. is acknowledged to be way behind in its digital dollar project, but that's really not the issue. The real issue is that in 2026, we're going to have a digital euro. Can we kind of like hopefully think that that's the date that we're looking at? <laughs> and for um, anybody who's working in the business, that's three years away, which is if you're at least as old as my I am, three years away is nothing. Okay, so we're there. You know, I'm already I'm already advising my clients. This is really funny. I'm already advising my clients to get ready for digital euro or CBDC in China or China. It's easy. I tell them to use the trials, but elsewhere, I tell them to buy stable coins and try playing with it. You know, but the point is, we're there. We're at that future now. So that's that's to David now. To Ricky, you know, the concept, there are two concepts here, and one is domestic versus international use. I agree that we will have international use of stable coins. Already we're seeing the BIS and the central banks that are working on the M bridge stable coin of uh, uh, the CBD transmission pro uh, program, making it very clear your. CBDC stays in your country and it doesn't come to ours. Nobody wants currency destabilization where, say, the digital yuan goes to Nigeria. They're all going to be transferred versus normal networks. So the concept that my machines in Germany would take digital RMB directly as a non-starter. We'll, we'll eventually get to a world where that happens, but I agree that's still 
when it comes to machines are way off. So I'm focused mostly on, hey, I got a machine. It's sitting there. How do I connect it to a, as you said, Ricky, a ubiquitous network, universally accepted that every, every machine can talk to? There's only one, well, two potential systems that can pull that off today unless we get really rethinking. And the one system is CBDC, which doesn't exist yet. And the other network is the credit card network, which is ubiquitous, but it's wholly it's wholly unsuited for that future role. Pardon me. All right. I think what became really evident by uh, listening to all of you talk about this question is the now and in three years time divide that is basically in between what we're talking about right here. And so to, to make it more focused on what we have today, I want to extend the question to you. Uh, what are the current use cases that we have? And Richard, this would, of course, be especially interesting um, directing towards you because the ECNY is at least in its piloting phase as of right now. So are there any concrete use cases that are currently out there and are they using the CBDC? And then also, of course, um, just extending the question to everyone here, what use cases do we currently see and what currencies do they use? Sure. It's a, look, it's a wonderful question. And I'm sorry, I don't have better news for you. The early smart contract use of central bank digital currency or the ECNY or the digital yuan also, the digital renminbi, it's got a lot of names, right? So the early smart contract machine use are really very, very simple, and nobody's really plugged them into, say, an industrial machine. However, on the other side, let's look at the machine bit. Now, that we had, do have examples. So the machines have been plugged in to IoT, where they count, or I, IoT and smart contracts, where they'll count how many widgets they produce, all right? And progress payments are actually triggered to the machines actually producing so many objects. Now, this is already going back a couple of years um, in China, and that's was one of the banks was experimenting with this, and they actually had progress payments made on that. It's not a leap to think that that sort of smart contract will eventually have a digital RMB component built in where the payments are made digitally. So, um, so the we have a digital yuan, but so far, um, it hasn't been machine used except do you count your do you count your cell phone as a machine? <laughs> and how about this? Do you can then this is an important one. How about machines that are disconnected and don't have signal? Offline payments, yeah. And and that's a real issue because okay, so this is my Chinese cell phone. And this has the Digital Yuan app. And I can not only turn the signal off and make a payment up to about 300 US dollars without a signal, but I can also have a dead battery if I have an Android phone. Sorry, this is an Apple. But if I have an Android phone, I can actually have a dead battery and still make the payment, which is pretty revolutionary. So tokenization of money is good. Tokenization is what allows us to do this. And yes, basic machine to machine payments are being made. Um, if you would if you would requalify a a no signal cell phone as a as a non connected machine. 
<laughs> so generally, I would agree to you. Um, but uh, since we spoke about uh, um, there should be no human intervention, <laughs> at least for the beginning, then I would exclude uh, your example. Um, Fair point. <laughs> um, so when we speak, um, so as Richard also mentioned, right, having now three years until we will probably see a digital euro in Europe is not such a long time. If we're speaking about big corporations, yeah, building up processes and products in an operational environment that is sell to, to customers. So I think we also probably would need uh, two to three years until we have really the, those business models running in a in a in a bigger environment. So what we're exploring here at Bosch and also in, in Germany from looking now or speaking now from different um, 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 public funded projects is that that different corporates right um, alongside the value chain are now trying to explore the benefits of of having data spaces right where we are connected where we can share data and also about having machines that provide. And 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 buy and procure services right on the street. So, speaking for Bosch, the the example that that the, yeah, J Jacob just mentioned in this in his presentation was that we are currently exploring cars, yeah, that are that are parking and charging automatically or autonomously um, directly with the parking lot or with a charging provider. And this is being now really being tested, and 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 this is what we're trying to to also to to enhance and to extend. And um, one, 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 one interesting, or for me, one of the most interesting parts will also be the data, the data economy itself, right? So when we're speaking about data spaces, where different corporations have their data sets and they're agreeing on sharing their data in a privately and a privacy secured way, then we see also a lot of new business models in existence. Um, and let's speak about we're currently exploring also the benefits of having collective and federated learning, right? Where we where we share our data sets in order to predict, uh, in order to monitor, let's say, all the cars that are in the field to monitor the data and to get some 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 expectations about, let's say, predictive maintenance in regard to the battery or to the brakes. And when we open up those silos, uh, those data silos currently. And, and share those data, then I think there will be a huge uh, and many more um, use cases in the context of machine to machine uh, between the machine and infrastructure, between the car and, and, and the parking lot, whatever uh, emerging. So this will be an exciting, uh, exciting field, the, the data economy. Yeah, let me jump in also here. I completely agree with with uh, Ricky, let me also highlight that when we are talking about machine-to-machine -machine payments, it's, as you said before, uh, these are payments where there is no human interaction at all. And usually I like to say that uh, although all machine-to-machine -machine payments are like IoT payments, not all IoT payments are machine-to-machine -machine payments. The, being said that, also important to mention, apart from these cloud services, which is a, also an example that... Uh, we included in, in our paper. I also have seen that there is there are some kind of experimentation with paper use models. And this is also, let's say, an example, right? Is this the, the idea behind this concept? I mean, it's pretty simple. It's leasing a machine to a consumer or company and charging for its use based on some uh, let's pre-established convictions. And that's why the, the payment is, is 
completely autonomous. And that's one of the, as I would say, uh, another example of use cases that it is uh, currently used in this, in this space, apart from, for sure, these uh, cloud services and also in the automotive uh, industry, which is probably the, the biggest example that we may have right now. Yeah. I, I would like to compliment it. Uh, I hope you hear me. Um, I might not be that hyped like like others uh, regarding the use cases. Uh, let me tell you why. Um, if you look up machine to machine payments, for example, on YouTube, you see a video. You will find a video some some when uh, where there's a 3D printer, I think, uh, that has a wallet with the cryptocurrency on, and there's like uh, there's like the solar panels, I think, that also have a Raspberry Pi and att attached a Raspberry Pi, also having a wallet. And in the end, the 3D printer pays for the electricity that it spends. Um, I think, as, as Ricky said, the, the M2M payment is really like in the beginning, many, many corporates or and also private persons are exploring use cases based off our today's understanding of how payments flow and how process go, uh, process go and businesses are made. Um, but on the other hand, it brings several implications about liquidity management, really, do you want machines to become profit or loss centers like PNL centers? Um, how do you manage the, the money that is on every machine in the end if you really have a distributed network where every machine might be a node? So that brings plenty of implications that are not really like being seen today or might not be seen today. Um, and on the other hand, might need quite other skills than, than uh, many corporates might have today. Coming from the, the former, uh, well, my former time at German Savings Banks Association, I have to be honest, there was nearly no demand coming to us or, or reaching us. Uh, I know we, it was a banking association, so uh, a lot of customer requests and customer dialogues might not come there. Um, but in the end, it's it's not that we would have really experienced a high demand or at least many, many corporates, organizations that were really developing a standard or really developing and focusing on these use cases, asking savings banks or also the, the state banks that we have in Germany for solutions uh, to pay for that. So we, we're discussing on a very uh, hypothetical level. Uh, there is potential for the technology itself. At least I see the potential and I, I'm very uh, excited to, to see what the future will bring in that uh, point. But I, don't, I didn't see the use cases within the last uh, months and years. Um, yeah. if, I, if I may, oh, Ricky, go ahead, please. Uh, I, I just wanted to add, uh, Jacob, uh, you're right, because like I said, I was working uh, since uh, over three and a half years in a strategic <laughs> research project. Uh, so we were kind of undercover and then published our information because we realized that we cannot do it undercoverly if we speak about a connected industry. So you're absolutely right. We're currently trying to explore how we do need to set up the things, right? So lots of did what we do were ground research, right? And and therefore those things were like in some isolated network or some proof of concept. We did a lot of proof of concept in this field, right? But this is now moving from a proof of concept to an operating environment where we're selling products that are secure and safe, and we have all the building blocks necessary. Like um, there are you need. If you if we think about machine to machine payments in the connected industry, there are several building blocks that are required in order to enable such an economy of things. What we're all speaking about, and therefore I think it is. If we think about the digital Europe in coming in three years, 
I think this is also like Richard said, it is a glimpse of time, right? So the, 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 we, we probably need one or two more years in order to get more partners, more providers, consumers, uh, um, prosumers, whatever, how you call it, into such, into the, in, in being enabled in order to take part of such an economy where the machine make those payments, right? And if we just think about um, providing um, governance structures and building up processes for handling new type of assets, such as digital assets or stablecoins, it takes a while. And therefore, I agree to you, uh, Jacob, there haven't been much of this, uh, maybe coming to you and asking for a payment method, but I'm sure that over the next two to three years, if the if the private sectors and the national banks provide a CBC or stablecoins, and we have interoperable payable interoperable payment solutions, the industry will also provide the use cases for it. But it's not here yet. But uh, in the in the next two to three to four years, we will see those emerging definitely. Yeah, I was I was going to highlight exactly the same. Also, for instance, when I'm talking about uh, use cases, usually I include the word experimentation, which is what companies are doing uh, right now. I mean, but it's completely true what Jacob said. Also, when I was writing this paper and talking to different companies in general, the demand of this kind of, of payment message is that it's not strong at all. And probably, yeah, we have to wait a couple of years and maybe yeah, if in 2026 we have a digital euro, we have something close to it that can be used, maybe at that point we're going to see much more use cases, absolutely. Coming back to the points of cloud services, data sharing, and especially also the automotive industry, can you imagine any new business models emerging from this that basically tie in all of this, any new um, industries besides um, the ones that are currently already adopting it or experimenting uh, with it, as David said, that you see it would be a great fit for the machine-to-machine economy? If uh, I may, uh, David, no, Ricky, please. Okay. No, no, David. So let me mention yeah, a couple of them more that maybe may be uh, relevant for this. So one of them uh, that comes usually to my mind is the, the smart home sector. Let's say uh, these uh, houses or smart uh, houses that can maybe administer directly and pay like energy consumption or, or other bills directly could be something interesting that we will see if we are going to see a kind of use case there. Also, for sure, I mean, the, the transport industry, especially, I think that uh, it can have a really important implication in the supply chain if it is done properly. That could be also interesting. And also in the industrial machine sector, like yeah, machines could directly pay a, a 3D, 3D printer uh, or even yeah, to, to replace some parts. Uh, these are these are some examples. I think that maybe in the future going we are going to see a little bit more experimentation there. Yeah, um, I think it's important, uh, as David said, we, we we can divide between like the industrial and corporate context and the private context, right? So uh, the consumer products. So um, when I speak about having a car in the future, right? You will get a car, and like also already Tesla is somehow doing it, right? You have a you have a you have the car, and it has all the functionality. But if you do not buy for it, right, you do not have it. So there will be a lot of subscription-based models, usage-based models, and, and revenue-sharing models where you where you buy an e-bike and for one day you would need like the highest level of power for your e-bike. So you would just you just procure it for the one day or for the one week and then you you, you set it off, right? So there will be much more 
flexibility, right? You, for your air conditioning in the car, maybe you don't need it all uh, the whole year. So you just procure and pay for it during the summer when it is hot, right? And therefore, I think with um, increased adoption of connectivity and IoT and also the increasing intelligence and automation through AI, and I think most of you or all of you have already explored ChatGPT, right? Things are moving forward now in this space. And when things are getting smarter and things are connected um, and you could just activate new business models or, 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 or services from the car that you bought or from the refrigerator or whatever, um, then there will be also more, more and more business cases um, coming to life, in my opinion. And while, while both of you were focusing on the more company or on the company side, like looking at the private sector and the uh, industrial sector, uh, what also could be a, a point in that in that case is the standard for the financial sector developed that could be developed and could end up in uh, creating like the, the commercial bank money token uh, or a standard that provides uh, and ensures that the intermediaries as we know them today will also be or can also be intermediaries within the uh, DLT emergent sector. So instead of uh, losing their role as intermediaries, uh, while there are, for example, stable coins or other forms of money on blockchains and, and distributed networks, that could also be the business model for banks and uh, other payment service providers that could uh, ensure services around uh, tokenized money. That's a good point, Jacob. And and also regarding the 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 the. the the topic that we had in the in the beginning about what kind of currencies do we emerge, which currency will win at the end, right? There will be also providers that just sit in between you and me and make those exchanges and make, uh, let's say, like either being intermediaries like banks and classical financial institutions or fintechs, or it will be, which we don't know, like decentralized protocols that will take care of the exchange once they are secure and once they are regulated. And therefore, I think with the emergence of DLT and Web3, um, through through Bitcoin a few years ago, um, I think a whole interesting new um, scientific and economic way of of, of doing business uh, was created. And therefore, um, yeah, I, I'm sure there will be. We need banks. Banks have an important role in our in our society, but there will be also types of of, of services and products that, that banks provide or other intermediaries that also s protocols, right? can do in the future once they are more smart, once they are more secure and once they are regulated. Yeah, exactly. This point uh, is true, at least for the European Central Bank that is currently discussing exactly what intermediaries can offer to uh, customers at the end of the day um, next to the distribution of the potential CBDC. But then again, uh, the main focus, of course, as, as a use case of the digital euro, at least, as we also know, isn't on machine-to-machine -machine, um, economy per se. So <laughs> that's another question, basically. Richard, do you have anything to add to that question? What types of business models you see possibly also specific um, CBDC angle yeah. take? Look, you know, transport your... We, we all need to transport ourselves magically from wherever we're sitting right now to the production floor of a not-so-modern factory somewhere down in Shenzhen, China. And this guy's got machines running. So basically, when you're talking about M2M payments, everything that we're talking about here is either payment on consumption or payment on production. 
And we have a system that is essentially got a lag built into it, where if I'm that guy down in Shenzhen producing widgets in my production floor, I'm waiting months before I get paid for them. Why? I got to put them in boxes. I got to ship them someplace. And into that is built into that is this additional cost. All right, because the guy simply got to wait for his money or the guy or the girl, pardon me. But the issue here is that we're looking at a new world. So you say, what new business models do we have? Well, people sell stuff and they make money. There's nothing new about that model. But what does change fundamentally is the immediacy and the ability to get paid relative immediately, or at least in part immediately, for your production and your labor. And that's a tremendous revolution that people do not have to wait for. Ready? I can't resist this. The check is in the mail. That's died. That's dead. And when that ha- once that happens, the margins can come down. Things can be hopefully more affordable to people. People can produce or consume and know exactly how much they produced or consumed without getting surprised by a bill. And if how many of us have been surprised? by a bill that we got for consuming something. Doesn't matter what it is, right? We've all gotten that. How did that happen, right? So all of these production and consumption issues that we have will be compressed into real time or near real time and will bring down the inefficiencies and the additional margins associated with production or consumption. And that's a revolution. I think that's really going to be huge. And okay, if you want to tell me that this is still a couple of years off, I agree. I'm not saying it's happening tomorrow. But it did happen already to a certain degree in China. We have digital, ubiquitous, free payment through WeChat Pay and Alipay. So, you know, we we're living that life already. And some of the comments I hear are euro based and they're like, well, we don't have digital payment. You don't. I get it. We're on our third version of digital payment here in China. So we're in part living that life. And it changed the ability to consume tremendously. And that revolution is still waiting to happen in Europe. And it will happen. And then it will happen even Doubly so when machines when machine when it hits machines. Let me add here a couple of issues because you mentioned richer instant payments, but instant payments. I mean, we don't need uh, digital currencies to enable an instant payment. We are already having instant payments in in Europe. Uh, for instance, in Spain, we have Pizum, which is an overlay system that you directly send money to another person, and that person receives the money in zero point one seconds. Also, you have UPI in India, which is a huge and massive success. You have FrontPay in Thailand. You have Pix in Brazil. So, I mean, uh, instant payments right now are a, a real reality, I must say. And if someone can, especially using some trigger solutions or API, enable, you know, these, uh, these uh, systems for machine-to-machine payments, that would be something really, really important. Because as you said, to have instant payments is, is it's fundamental, especially for saving costs and instant and free payments. I mean, it's both both things at the same time. That's what is really, really relevant. And agree. Beautiful. And, and I agree. Picks, picks in Brazil is wonderful. UPI in India are wonderful. WeChat Pay and Alipay in China do great jobs. 
free and immediate is the future. Um, and that's what machines will need. They won't, as I like to say, they won't take Visa and MasterCard. <laughs> All right. You already mentioned the role of prosumers. And Richard, when you were talking about new business models, this also became very evident. You're basically saying um, it's not just uh, new ways or basically old ways of thinking about business, but uh, fractionalizing the revenue, for example. But it also shifts the legal obligations from one party to the other. So let's move on to the field of regulation a little bit. How and um Uh, Jacob, you also touched on this um, at the very beginning in your keynote. Can the machine-to-machine economy uh, be regulated? This is, of course, a very, very big uh, question. But um, again, in the light of the roles changing, who needs to be regulated? How do you see the role of of, uh, machines? So the machine identities uh, playing out, especially under uh, under Mika in in the Eurozone. It's a very broad question. Feel free to just focus on one part of, of whatever comes to mind of those questions. I can start um, from 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 my perspective. That totally varies, but uh, from from the use case and depends on the underlying use case, because in the end it depends on what machine is used and uh, what network, what kind of transaction is behind that. Meaning conventional rails or is it is it money on chain, for example? Talking about the distributed networks that that Ricky mentioned earlier, and all that has implications on the regulation itself. Uh, saying, for example, uh, if you if you want to take uh, a commercial bank money token, like let's let's uh, from my side stick to this example um, that was discussed, I think initially already in 2018 together with the German uh, Bundesbank, uh, and I think Ricky was also part of this uh, research paper. So feel free to jump in. Uh, yeah, but in the end, having com- uh, tokenized commercial bank money is a quite interesting thing, but. It is still not clear how it is considered from a legal perspective. So, uh, is it a real? Uh, of course, it is assured it is a claim against the commercial bank uh, itself. But on the other hand, uh, it's not clear if it falls under the protection um, of the, the deposit protection schemes or if it is considered as e-money because that has implications. For example, for the banks, is it an e-money token that is regulated by the Mika or is it, for example, a deposit as we know it today and therefore falls under other regulation? So it, is, it has to be uh, distinguished between the form of money um, the, the communication protocols, uh, the smart contracts, or somehow, however, the communication takes place. And as well, I think also the, the, the different brand, uh, branches, meaning uh, the areas where the industry, uh, where we're looking at the perspective of the organizations. So all of that had, have implications on the regulatory side. And it's quite hard or to really find that one specific challenge or that one specific that specific regulation that has to be improved. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, good points, Jakob. Um, to add here, I think that um, in this context of machine-to-machine payments and and, um, and 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 new payment methods, means of payment uh, now being created, and 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 private sector is talking about it, and even now the central banks. Um, I think that we need clear regulation on 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 data privacy and and data security in this context to protect the consumers and the businesses. And I think this is one problem that China has, right, Richard? You are fast, but you are not looking at the needs of the people. You are not taking care of privacy somehow. You are not taking care of um, I mean, not you for sure, but um, in, in China, I think um, they, they could see all your transactions. If they don't like you, if you're against the system, 
you can be your 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 money your account can be frozen right and this is something where we since um at least now for europe trying to protect our values we need to reflect our values also in our means of payment in the future and right now looking at cash cash is the only way of having anonymous and private payments so speaking about the cashless society and um, we also need privacy in this context and and this is for the consumer side me as a person as a private person wants to be protected somehow and wants to make my own decisions of whom i want to spend money also in the digital age i do not want the central bank to froze me because i have another political opinion right and on the other side we have to ensure right aml and KYC compliance for the banks. But by doing this, we are also getting more and more transparent. And in the age of AI, if um, private banks or let's say private corporates are able to see about the value flows alongside the value chain, we are getting more and more transparent. So imagine that a competitor of you provides a, a means of payment to your business alongside your value chain he can extract over time. He can learn from the data, from the tiny value flows that are in between those steps. He can learn about your product. He can learn about your, your fee structure, about your cost structure. And there is also a problem for the future of the, uh, of the, and the sovereignty of the, of the European economy. So this, I think, needs to be balanced between data privacy and security to protect businesses and consumers on, on both sides while also comply to regulatory uh, requirements. Well, let, let me let me respond. Um, and Ricky, I won't hold this against you, but in July or August of 2022, China passed the PIPLs, Personal Information Protection Laws, which are some of the world's strictest data protection laws in existence. They got went far beyond um, GD, GDP. So, uh, 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 sorry, they went, they went far. Yeah, GDP, PSD two. Pardon me. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, the your 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 concept that China is somehow lawless and therefore not protective of data is a mischaracterization. And I get it. You're from Europe. You don't live here. You don't know it. But just to be clear. Not only did China pass personal information protection law, but it passed the AI and algorithmic law to ensure that people were not being cheated by AI and or algorithms and required strict auditing of both to ensure. Ready? I'm going to say it because you'll love this societal harmony. And it's it was not. It was practical because AI and algorithms are determining the delivery routes for delivery drivers, how much they get paid. So employ so digitization is much deep more deeply ingrained in our society in China. So the protection of individuals, both their data and their livelihoods, which are based on algorithms, is critical here. So, um, you know, the other, the other issue you get to, which is payment, is it blocked? Look, 
just go to Canada. You want to see somebody who is not a, uh, you know, you know, who's not a total- considered a totalitarian state. Go to Canada. They brought, they blocked they did the same. 150 to 300 right. to 300 accounts. No CBDCs were injured in that blockage. No, none required. Go to Germany. Go to look at the terrorism laws. Your accounts can be blocked either for tax liens or for terrorism accusations tomorrow with no CBDCs, no China required. So let's leave that for let's leave that for a moment. What we're really fundamentally asking ourselves are will machines be treated as individuals and entities? Number one. And number two, are what contract law and what is the viability of the contract law built in to the payment mechanism that's in the machine? And that's really complicated because as soon as you go to stable coins, right, or non-governmental payment, whose contract law you're dealing with with an ERC token, which is in another nation, which is developed by somebody else, that gets really crazy really quickly. All right. Better, of course, with CBDC from because it is a national payment means and we at least know where the contract law is is now. But the bigger question is, do we give the same right of privacy to a machine that we give to a human being? And that's the fundamental question that we're going to have to ask. Does your car have if your car has a payment device built into it, does it have the same right to privacy that you do when you make payments? I don't know. And I and I don't. I mean, these are real issues that we're going to have to tackle. And I pass it back to everybody else on that. <laughs> I was going to add, especially that uh, you, Jacob, said in your presentation that another issue here, which is really, really relevant, is, uh, uh, I mean, if, you know, in Europe, uh, payment service providers must comply with uh, strong consumer authentication. Right, especially if the if the pay the payer is a natural person or a, or a company. But how can we apply a strong consumer authentication or two factor authentication to a machine? That's the topic, right? That's sometimes quite quite tricky. And I don't know if at some point in the future we're going to see something like that. It's super super interesting, but for sure, probably we need more lawyer, more law law people in the in the room to to discuss that. Good point. I, I wanted to add because it does, I, I'm not coming from the side whether I like the Chinese setup or the the, the, the infrastructure for the for the uh, EUN or not. Uh, I was more coming from the point of Ricky that you shouldn't get too transparent for central entities like the central bank. Because looking back at uh, the poll back then, I think in 2020 by the ECB on the digital euro, that clearly showed that data privacy was the the, the biggest uh, issue for for most of the people that answered uh, the survey. Um, what has to be avoided talking about do you really want to to have a mach- have machines have the same rights regarding payments and privacy as uh, human beings um you have to avoid that in the end the payments of the car for example can be linked to one's uh, personal spending habits or whatever or one's one's personal accounts and therefore i think there has to be ricky is totally right there has to be a very high standard for data product, uh, protection on the one hand and for security for data security on the other hand as well and therefore it is at least from my side one of the the most important uh, topics on the regulatory side as well 
And and now because David, you mentioned taking more lawyers into contact uh, into into this in the vow. I think this is true. But also on the other side, we need more researchers, right? We need more people that build and make use of new technologies. I mean, what we have seen now with zero yeah. knowledge proofs, what we have seen with secure privacy, secure uh, computing technologies, we have the tools available with SSI. If we connect all the, the building blocks that we're now seeing, we could somehow build such efficient systems where we could on the one side secure data privacy to a certain degree. And Richard, this is for the question, right? Which kind of limits and should it machine has it to what type of, uh, to what uh, certain degree. Um, but we have tools available of, of building a solution that, that, that should suit on the one hand side um, regulatory requirements such as AML, KYC, which is required for the banking world. And on the other side, securing uh, consumers and, and businesses from being too transparent. And um, yeah. So I think this was this is twofold its work and and yeah with the use of technology and the use of um, um, lawyers and a lots of open and public debates and I think this is really required we could we could achieve this um, and uh, Richard also looking at the PIPL and uh, and I algorithm law um, um, I haven't checked it yet I just checked the technical designs of the. ECMY um, or, or the white papers that have been published and uh, looking at those um, there's currently um, uh, no such thing as really like um, privacy protection from a consumer side but you're right we had we did not really had it in the in the Canadian uh, uh, in the Canadian pardon me I, I, here's here's my book and you're telling me that there's no privacy protection built into the, in the no the privacy right but it's excuse it's, me it's, but it's uh, we can have a separate discussion on this uh, Richard but um, there is um, there is the possibility of getting accounts frozen but we're now get, we're now moving over the top but as you have seen we have we did the same in Canada and we 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 probably have the same option also here in Germany. So, um, but when we speak about CBDC and we can now we're now able to design a new currency, I think we should put this at the root of this new design, right? So when we're now building this new infrastructure, uh, a new payment system, we should take this somehow and put it at the at the heart and at the center of this uh, of this system because this builds trust and and therefore I think also regulation should center and should focus also on this aspect, which is as Jacob mentioned, and looking at the survey of the people that who, who have been asked is one of the most important aspects of a future digital payment system in regard to a cashless society. Yeah, absolutely. And if I may also, I would like to, to touch upon another issue that uh, we have briefly mentioned, which is that right now there is a lack of machine in identity framework. And this is really, really important. And it's imperative, especially uh, for politicians or regulators to kind to try to establish a kind of standard, right, around machine identity. I don't know exactly how, I don't know, it could be a digital certificate, a key, a credential, something that can be used for authentication of, of the machine. Even we can create at some point a kind of uh, know your machine standard, right? Instead of know your customer. Uh, something like that is really required. And maybe at some point we are also going to need a kind of centralized database of machines that are authorized to, to, to make a payment or to make a, a directly a machine-to-machine -machine payment. 
I don't know. Maybe something like that uh, may happen in the in the future. But uh, this thing of having a lack of machine identity framework is something that is really missing, and it's something that probably is gonna change in the or should change in the following in the following years. I mean, we could probably talk for 10 more minutes and uh, way beyond that about regulation. And uh, I'd love to actually, because one point um, that really stood out to me was basically this divide. If we give machines their own identity, this can protect users' identity in one way. But then the question is, how do you handle giving machines um, the same well, almost rights as as humans? Um, really, really interesting uh, points. Um, again, in the interest of time, there are some questions from the audience that arose that I'm going to extend to you um, now one person is asking if smoothly running payment systems for companies are a given what's the value proposition for m2m or iot payments we've said they are likely going to be for free so it's not like there's any type of fee um, as visa or mastercard typically uh, take is there anyone that would like to go first on this Well, one possible uh, value proposition could be the fact that you collect data. I mean, the the, the conventional banks, as we know them today, might be savings banks, uh, corporate banks, or whatever uh, in Germany might not be known for uh, for good reason for for using the, the client's data that they have uh, for for selling or sales purposes, um, but. Assuming uh, that these transactions would be free or so cheap that there would not be an actual business model behind them, one per, uh, one fact could be the uh, the point that you win important or win win very interesting data about your clients, about your customers' behavior, and can use them to uh, like like uh, use them for other uh, for your other business areas, um, and therefore make make your business processes around uh, mortgages, loans more efficient, more uh, predictions more secure, etc. Um, and that could enable you to to uh, yeah leverage synergies in other fields by the data that you win. Yeah, I was gonna say that I, I absolutely agree. At some point, I mean, if there is no uh, kind of value proposition there, there is not going to be a business model. So there is always going to be, oh, this is really, really relevant. And even in the context of, of instant payments, I mean, it really depends on the country, uh, but uh, they tend to be almost or completely free especially for the consumer, maybe not for the, for the not completely free from, for, from the merchant, but for sure it's cheaper than other uh, means of payments. So there is always going to be a kind of value proposition there, absolutely. All right, Richard, do you have anything to add to that question or? I'm speechless. Look, right now the European, the European zone pays 1.7% of GDP in payment fees, flat out. 1.7% of your GDP is sucked down to fees. And around 60% of that is actually going to personal fees to banks. So when you ask what happens to your business model, it's not new. We've seen this before. There is an increase in the velocity of money. And we saw this historically at two different periods. First period was the advent of credit cards in the 80s, when the United States started to really push credit cards out to everybody. The Fed found that the measure of M4, which is the velocity of money in society, increased. 
meaning that rather than money to me, to you, to the bank, those wheels sped up. And when those wheels sped up, consumption sped up. People did more bought more. They did more. And not just because they took out credit card debt, right? But because the circulation of money increased within the economy. Second, huge, but I grant you, unstudied was China. WeChat and Alipay, which hit in 2014, had the exact same effect, an increase in the velocity of money. This, the, the PBOC or the People's Bank of China has written about this. But what it did was it increased people's consumption capacity and the velocity of money in the system. So when you ask me, what are machines going to do? to make the world a better place. They're going to allow your company to increase its velocity of money, meaning it will have more money to put toward the things that it wants to invest in or do things with to make it more money. And that's fundamentally a good thing. Okay, if there are no further questions on that one, people in the audience were very much interested in the regulatory side of things um, that you guys already extensively discussed. Is there um, any anything more that you can share on how digital identities will be handled in machine-to-machine -machine payments beyond what you've already commented on? If not, I think it could also be interesting to hear, I mean, Ricky, you work um, quite hands-on uh, with these experimentations. How are they currently handled? Can they not touch basically anyone outside of Bosch or how do we have to imagine this just as an exemplary use case? Uh, okay, so um, the, the question was about identities, right? In this context. And I think um, um, it's, it's, it's also in this machine economy, it's about building trust between participants and between machines. And um, and therefore, I think we need a trust infrastructure based on identities. So self-sovereign identities, SSI, it should be a concept which will probably be used and, and export currently also on the current EGDAS 2 regulation. So um, there will be... Um, There will be some um, innovation, or there is currently also in a lot of innovation was going on over the last um, couple of years in this field. And I think that, um, yeah, identities are linked to um, a human and identities will be linked to a machine. Um, it, and this will be a good question, right? If the, if the machine, if the e-bike that I'm buying, if the car that I'm buying is, is later owned by myself, and gets somehow an identity that is connected to me as the beneficial owner, or um, is the machine outside uh, um, rented and, and be, be belongs still to the manufacturer of the car, of the bike, or, or whatever. So I think um, this is not really made in stone yet. Um, this depends on the regulation, right? What makes more sense at the end? And um, yeah, also in the context of having autonomous devices and machines, um, this will be even a more interesting topic to see. Um, yeah, those are my thoughts on this. And even if I may add also another issue, which is super interesting and so far also being quite complicated even to regulate is, okay, what if we assign one digital wallet to each machine, then how is that going to be regulated? Or how can we regulate exactly that? Uh, this is also key because I think that in META, in the regulation that we are going to have in, in Europe about crypto assets in the following months, uh, they did not specifically cover that mm -hmm. aspect. 
And that could be also quite interesting to, to see. And the question in this context is also, will then the machine really have his own wallet, right? Yeah. Or will it just have the possibility to, to ask me as the owner or the corporate for permission if he can just do the payment and the wallet lies at my corporate infrastructure or at my personal infrastructure, right? So hmm. uh, these are, are really interesting questions. And, and, and also then comes the, the placeholder uh, of, an, of a smartphone. In this context, so um, the question would also be if if the, is then the the car I, I'm using the car as an example having the wallet directly in the car, or will you as a driver as soon as you step into the car connect with your car and the wallet is on your iPhone, so you will be still in charge of it, right? So uh, like you're currently doing it with Apple Pay and and all the other things where you have to make use Face ID in order to make then the payment. So the machine is just asks you, can I do the payment? Can I do the cleaning? Can I do whatever? So, yeah, this will be an exciting time um, to watch. Absolutely. One aspect we haven't discussed yet, but to be honest, is one of the most interesting ones uh, from, from my perspective, um, could be the handling of uh, AIs. As Ricky mentioned earlier, um, the AI technology crazily spread it within uh, spread within the last weeks and month uh, over LinkedIn and social media profiles everyone tried chat GPT whatever um, and it, it, it somehow feels like AI is getting a very wide adoption right now among users and uh, for that I, I think what Ricky and David just discussed it's linking an unique identity to a static system that somehow can always be identified as the system as it was a few days ago, but uh, assigning an uh, EID or whatever to a technology or to a machine, to a system that could develop or that could mm -hmm. change and change you know, itself without the human interference. That is a thing. I don't have a solution for that, to be honest. And I don't... I, I have an opinion, but you know, that's just an opinion. Um, and I think that that will be a very important topic within the next uh, month and years as well around giving machines identities. Uh, yeah. Okay. In the interest of time, I'd like to thank it, all of you. Truly, this was a really engaging discussion. I think it made a lot of people think, um, and I hope we'll be able to come back in a couple of years' time, watch this panel and basically see which uh, predictions came true, which didn't. will be certainly very, very interesting. Make sure to keep in touch with the, with the DIA and all the panelists. I'm sure they're happy if you reach out to them on LinkedIn with any further questions that you might have. And also make sure to uh, subscribe to our newsletter to not miss any events that will come up in the future. That being said, thank you to all of you again and have a great rest of the day.